This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, greetings to you, our disaster divas. You know, for something that came about on accident, as disaster divas did, it is really... It is, it is such a treasured, enduring part of this experience by now. Um, it is I, Jordan Cruciola, along with... Me, Amanda Smith. I really, like, every time I think of Disaster Divas, I'm like, man, how did how did we stumble into that one that that was where my brain went? I'm so glad that it is. Yeah, no, it really... It, it's nice. It's nice to have a shorthand when... Mm-hmm. A familiar shorthand when addressing addressing the legions out there, really, who are waiting for us from week to week. Our masses. <laughs> our, our, our devoted masses. <laughs> and we... We have another uh, made-for-TV special coming at you this week with Atomic Twister. And, you know, I feel like the title sort of misrepresents this movie a little bit. But, Amanda, do you, do you want to talk about that and what this is about yeah, okay, in a literal so sense? In the literal Yes, I'll give you the summary here. So this is from 2002. It was a, a classic sort of the made-for-TV movie of the network variety, not the sci-fi kind, which I really appreciate that. Yeah, you still yeah, get... Because when you watch it, you still get those those commercial breaks. Yes. As I rewatched it with my boyfriend the other day, I was like, see, you have to imagine when it goes to black that it's then you're going into like toilet paper advertisements. It was very charming. It was very charming when those fade yeah. outs would happen. That that was one of my favorite parts, actually, of the viewing experience. It really takes you back to the must-see TV days. Um, <laughs> so it is about a town in West Tennessee where there is a nuclear power plant. And uh, they apparently have tornadoes without any sort of tornado warning systems. Yeah. The, t- the nuclear power plant is run by Corinne, who's just moved there. She's a shift supervisor. She has a 12-year-old son and, and her husband's left her. And her next-door neighbor <laughs> is Jake, who is Mark Paul Gossler at his most fuckboyness. Yeah. <laughs> he is a police officer. It is. The, the character very much is, the character Jake, very much is a certain type of future for Zach Morris. Yes, it is. It is if Zach Morris like left Bayside, became, and then never really, you know, peaked. Yeah, like if if the inheritance if the inheritance wasn't real, or like it dried up, or there was like a Ponzi scheme and it went away, this mm-hmm. is a possible future for Zach Morris. It is, yeah. Or it's Zach Morris if Zach Morris were born in West Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yes, very much so. So anyway, so there's a tornado, and the tornado hits the power, the nuclear power plant, shutting off its power, and they run the risk of the power plant going into meltdown. So it is a tornado story, and it is a possible atomic disaster story. And along the way, um, Sharon Lawrence, who plays Corinne, will fight sexism, and <laughs> yes. um, Mark Paul Gossler will fight inherited trauma from his childhood. <laughs> yes. And the movie opens with that trauma in a very, yeah. in a very, uh, you know, this is a, a lightweight version of what, you know, of course, we've seen in Twister and Hurricane Heist with yeah. the, the vendetta against weather, because this, the Twister, when he was little on the farm in West Tennessee, took his mother. Which was entirely her fault. Yeah, entirely. 
Entirely Much like as Aaron fault. explained to us, the loss yeah. of Helen Hunt's father in Twister this was, was somehow entirely- more. This was more Mark Paul Gossler mom's fault in this one uh-huh. because, like, we're operating in a world apparently where it takes until you actually physically see the Twister to be like, I guess I have to go to the storm cellar now. They should have been in that storm cellar so much earlier. What a terrible mother. I think that is a persistent failing of this movie and and does get into the reality index of this because no one in this movie is aware of tornadoes actively happening until someone says to their face, there's a tornado happening. Like Fire Twister had a little bit of that where... I don't know why anybody needed to be told there was a, a, a tornado made of fire spinning over Los Angeles because it was very obvious. But this, like, at every turn, at one point, we're in, like, a raging, screaming wind tunnel, and it is loud and oppressive. And yeah. Deputy Mark Paul Gossler sees a man on the road, and he runs up to him, and he's like, you got to get out of here. There's a tornado coming. It's like, the tornado is visibly right there. Like, what the fuck did he think was happening? At this point, we're near the end of the movie. So tornadoes have been happening all day long. Why did no one know? At one point, nothing actually, like, physically registers within the atomic facility. And suddenly people are just No one has any idea. And they're just like, is there a tornado outside? Yeah, Did did we get hit by a tornado? Did we get hit by a tornado? I was like, I feel like that's not a question you need to ask. You uh, yeah, know, this was a world without siren. Like when they did at, during the second tornado, which was about to hit town, they're like set off the fire, the, tw- the tornado alarms. And I was like, oh, you have sirens. You just yeah. no one's been able to use them this whole time. There's no like one of the most iconic things when I think of a nuclear power plant, I think of flashing lights and blaring horns. And yeah, any kind like, like some, some sort of very. Uh, Thing. Like World War level of yeah. alert system. At the very least, like a DJ Khaled horn. Like, give me something. <laughs> <And> the, <laughs> yeah. the sound that happens every time that there's a twister. But no, like in the tour, in the in the facility, they have no idea what's happening in the outside world. In the outside world, they have no idea what's happening in the outside no. world. Multiple no. times, characters go to the window to see a tornado before the tornado hits them. Yeah. Like it is the the when we when we lose poor babysitter Stacy who's looking oh, after Stacey. Corinne's son, like they've been sheltering in place. They're like underneath the mattress, and then everything gets really quiet, like we're in the eye yeah. of a hurricane. And she gets up to go look out the window to check, and the little boy's like, "Don't go, don't go." And I'm like, "Yeah, maybe don't go to the window, but also like nothing's." Ha- and then suddenly, like a goddamn bomb went off. A tornado, I don't know, explodes in front of the house, blasting out the windows, sending Stacy catapulting through the back of the room, which eventually she dies of her injuries on the floor of this of this living room. Yeah. And it's like, wait, that I don't that's not how that works. Where the fuck did that? What is that gunshot of tornado pressure that just happened right now? Yeah, there is these are stealth tornadoes, which is I guess why no one is prepared <laughs> for them at all. And in yeah. terms of the reality index, like to, to back up on on even just the fact that you mentioned, I, I need to get this out there. Corinne's son's a fucking sociopath, right? Like we can Corinne's agree. Son Corinne's son's is, a sociopath. Is a quintessential terrible disaster movie child. If if the tornado hadn't killed Stacy the babysitter, he <laughs> would have. So when we hear, so we get this flashback story in the and opening. We also the opening see him being kind is, of. We also see him being kind of pervy with her, right? Yes. Yes. Everything about him, he's a sociopath. So we get this opening sequence 
of flashing back to Mark Paul Gosler's deputy Mark Paul Gosler's childhood. And um, when we get this flashback sequence, which involves the mother and son running, her hiding him in a thresher, which is basically the equivalent <laughs> yeah. of hiding hiding the child in the death barn from Twister. Yeah, and very then, much and, so. And then the mother gets sucked up into the air because the son can't hold on to her. Um, and we then cut to, we reveal that this is actually a story that Corinne, Sharon Lawrence's terrible child is telling to a bunch of other children <laughs> yeah. in a tent. And he is telling it with so much glee. There is, it's like, this is the happy ending of the story. And then yeah. the mom got sucked into a tornado and died. And later we find out that Corinne's and, husband and has Corinne, left them and that she is the only, and Corinne's like, that is not Corinne, an okay yeah, story. appropriately horrified being yeah. like, this isn't a good story. Like, why and are you excited? Is, son is unapologetic. The other boys liked it. And I think it was, it wasn't, it, it's just a story, mom. But we learn that she, she has moved with her son because the husband has abandoned her. So he is just telling a story about how his only caretaker in the world, yeah. the surrogate of his only caretaker in yeah. the world gets sucked up into a tornado and leaves the boy alone to die. Yeah. This kid is going to, is Cut. absolutely going to su- skin his mother one day. Cut to him at the house playing Twister with babysitter Stacy. And we are yeah. for some reason, we are for some reason offered up a shot of him strategically placing himself under her while they're playing Twister so he can look down her shirt. But it like, we get the point that he's being a creepy little boy, but also it's staged in such a way that he couldn't and only the audience can see down Stacy's shirt. And it's like, we're just looking down the shirt of an actress of unknown age right now to watch her boobs move around. And they just swayed gently. Extremely uncomfortable with this. Like and, and, and yeah, and the implication is that we're also supposed to be like, haha, look at the little boy who's who's like twelve in this. Like, look <laughs> at the little boy who's so delighted to be so close to the boobs. But again, it's just like, dude, the, everything about this is so <laughs> weird and creepy. And you can't convince me. We never see her. We see her fall, and then we don't see her again. Wait, Stacy? Yeah, we well, we see her again when she dies in Mark Paul Gosler's arms. <laughs> Yes. You can't convince me that that boy did not bludgeon her to death. <laughs> she sustained a lot of head trauma for just yeah. being thrown backward. Yeah. Um, I, I think that kid, because like the next time we see her, she's lying life. there. Yeah, she's lying there with blood coming out her ears. Uh-huh. And he is fleeing the scene. Yeah, he is fully fled. He's gone on a bike. Yeah, he's gone on a bike. Kid snapped. He bashed his babysitter's head in and then he <laughs> took off. I'm telling that I'm calling it. This is an entirely different movie subplot happening, but that kid is absolutely a sociopath. There are, there are so many like weird things that, that come up in this movie where you're like, why is that happening? Much like, which is what exactly what happened for me at the beginning of this movie. When once we've seen deputy Mark Paul Gosler's trauma, we jump forward. We see the mom telling, you know, that's, we see the mom telling her creepy son, like that's not a fun story to tell. Then we see, um, Mark Paul Gossler like making out with a woman who's just like stayed the night at his house. And then we see like that leads to a confrontation basically between Corinne yeah. and Jake where she is being super goddamn judgmental about his private life. Telling yeah. him like, you know, my son looks up to you like Campbell looks up to you. It's like he was kissing a girl at her car. 
He's an adult man. On his man. private property. He's you, your neighbor, bitch. You happen to live next to this man? I didn't understand what their relationship was yeah. for the first, like, 15 minutes of this movie. Because I was like, wow, she's up in his shit enough. Is this is this her, like, adult son from a previous marriage? And she's, like, giving him a mom tough talk about, like, what respectable respectability politics are? Or is this really just her neighbor that she's telling some, like, focus on the family bullshit mm-hmm. like conservative values like my son looks up to you it's like well then mom do your mom job of talking to your son about like sex and relationships don't put this on your neighbor who's clearly a fuck boy to like raise your kid and give him a moral compass it was a very weird way to start this movie it was so weird especially because like they haven't been neighbors that long We're, no. we learn that she's still like pretty new to this job they've just moved yeah, he like she knows things about his personal life that she he hasn't told her. So she's clearly just like getting gossip from around town. <laughs> yeah. It was so weird. And it was those moments, too, where you're like, are they setting it up to be a thing between them? But yeah. they clearly aren't. Um, and it, and, and it, it, it did not feel like I did not believe that that character, Jake, would just acquiesce to her like that. Like, yeah. I feel like that's where you, you maybe don't want to start a fight. So you just listen to her talk. You're like okay, Corinne, you have a good day now. And then you go in your house. You're not like, you know what? You're right. I don't want him thinking of, you know, I don't want him thinking that's the way the world works either. When it's like, well, I mean, that is the way the world works. And you're allowed to kiss somebody in front of your house that who's just stayed out at your house that night. Like I, that whole thing was like nothing in the way that we will learn these characters actually relates to each other. Nothing about that makes sense with how they're talking to each other right now. This is weird. For sure. Yeah, no, it, it's it's just a very, it's such a, it's a weird moment. It's, <laughs> like, I don't entirely get when, once he's like, once he realizes what she's talking about and what's going on and he he's completely on board with it, which yeah. again is weird because like the whole thing is that the whole point of the story is that he needs to learn to like trust a woman yes. and find like, and learn that, you know, the tornado can't win. <laughs> but it kind of seems like it does, and we don't need a tornado to do that. We just need a stern talking to from slut-shaming Sharon Lawrence. Yeah, she's really, it was like, you know what? I like you, Sharon Lawrence. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what Corinne is making you look like right now. Because this is some weird, nosy neighbor-ass bullshit. Yeah. And that, you know, the fact that he's a police officer is also kind of funny. Like, sure, okay. Yeah. But what is interesting to me is... Okay, first of all, when we see, this is an important point, when Corinne gets to work at the nuclear power plant that is for some reason called Hellman Klein, as yes. though it is a law firm. I, I, it, I, I keep going back and forth on if that's the name of a law firm or if someone was like, what do we call this place? And they saw it and they were like, well, I really like toppings. So uh, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like a company that makes a mayonnaise. It sounds like It sounds like a legal firm to me. Yeah. And they just like every time someone says like we're at Helm and Klein, it's like no, you're at a nuclear power plant. Don't stop mm-hmm. saying you're at Helm and Klein. You're not providing legal services to anybody. <laughs> but when she gets there, we meet the security guard at Helm and Klein, uh, who who happens to be fucking Carl Lewis. Yeah, ten yeah. time Olympic track medalist Carl Lewis, nine yeah. of them gold, and here he is. In Atomic Twister. As a security guard. <laughs> security guard stew. 
Yeah, we learn a lot about him in that little moment. Like he really, he, you know, does what he can with that moment. And we learn that his daughter has broken her wrist. She rides bicycles. He <laughs> broke his leg recently. Yeah. I mean, we just got a whole, and it was, it was such a great, in terms of the reality index of it, um, overly chatty security guard talking to a woman who just was trying to be polite. And now, yeah. and like Sharon Lawrence's reaction to it is like, oh, <laughs> and like an awkward pause Very and she true. drives on and i was like this is probably the realest moment of human interaction this whole movie yeah is yeah. is this what's happening right here yeah but that, I, I think that's a that's a very good i think point to isolate which is that the the interactions in this movie between people feel like they were written by aliens for the most yeah. part yeah yeah like, every every time that the characters talk you're like these are people who've never <laughs> spoken to each other before yeah <laughs> And suddenly have to like, but but have opinions about each other's lives. <laughs> yeah. It's like they were given like, here's a rundown of what this human does. What do you think of that? What do we, th- what do we think a, a woman like Corinne, a, a person like Corinne is getting paid to be like a shift manager at a nuclear power plant? Um, like, it's what socioeconomic stratus is, status is this? Because I was like, why is this neighbor set up like her and this deputy? Like, what is? Yeah, what's the what's the sort of the breakdown of that economic divide there? Yeah, the the I couldn't tell. Is this like struggling? Is this a struggling single mom narrative? Is no. this a single mom who's like got things well taken care of narrative? Like, I couldn't figure that she out. She had a nice leather blazer. I think that she's <laughs> upper. Like, I think she's probably like upper middle class is where they that, would plant her. That would be my yeah. assumption for like what should be. Yeah. And she is, of course, in a power struggle with Neville. Yes, with Neville Potter, who is um, <laughs> Neville patriarchy, more like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love I love how they were like, we're going to tackle an important issue in this, in addition to the dangers of twisters and nuclear power plants. And that important <laughs> issue will be sexism in the workplace. Yes, very much. Uh, really appreciate that they were like, no, nah, this is what we're going for here, guys. Yeah, you got it. I mean, you, you have to have that. Yeah. If there's a woman in and, charge, and, you got to have it. It's got to be about that. And handled in, in a subtle way in which Neville is talking to a guy who really the whole time I was like, that's not Ike Barinholtz, but it could be Ike Barinholtz. Oh, Potter? Like, yeah. of, like third guy at the atomic power plant, Potter? Yeah. 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 And he, he and he, the and Ike Barinholtz is like, why don't you have this job? And then Neville, it just straight up says they wanted a woman for it. Yeah, like as yeah. if as if our our tits are what control. Like if you put each <laughs> nuclear boob, power, it's what yeah. controls nuclear power. Yeah, you put each boob into one of the activation slots, <laughs> and that's how it. That's how you power everything. That's it actually true. I've seen that happen. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like when you go down to San Onofre, when you go down towards San Diego, and you see the two glowing power station boobs. Right, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and so, and of course, because he has no sense of place or time, Neville says they wanted a woman for the job in front of yes, Corinne. And I, now, what I don't, I can't speak to what nuclear power plant protocols should be, but I feel like taking any step in the middle of a disaster, like tornado approaching, compromising the station, shutting down cooling tanks for radioactive fuel rods is not part of your first order of operations. If you're like, we need to save power, there's a redundant system in place to keep these cooling pools mm-hmm. like filled with water and keep these fuel rod, radioactive fuel rods from being exposed. I feel like 
that's not one of the things you pick to turn off to reroute power to like keeping the station on. Because if the reactor's still going, you're still in an equal amount of trouble if you're just going to start exposing like radioactive fuel rods. Yes. Uh, I don't know that it would be recommended, but as Neville later explains, he's not good under pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does. He really just that was his his clammy, his clammy handed explanation for why he'd done it when he finally apologizes. And it, like he finally apologizes at the toward the end when he makes his big sacrifice. Yeah. And he, he goes so to pull like, a, like this is way down speed. the line. He, yeah. And he but he does at that point apologize and say, like, I'm sorry I turned off the redundancies. I'm not good under pressure. That's why I didn't get the job. <laughs> and what that scene was really missing was him peeing his pants while he said it. like I just imagined I was like there should be a pool of urine underneath him as he says these things but now I think the I think the sort of meta conversation about reality index here for this movie is this movie should not have been called atomic twister right there is at no point an atomically charged twister I know and that's really disappointing I was I kept waiting and then we get like two-thirds of the way through the movie I was like they're never there's never going to be a merging of radioactivity and the twister, is there? Like, it would, How great it would, would those effects have been? They would have been glowing and crackling for no good reason. I hope it would have been a neon green tornado. Absolutely. I With hope like they white gone. jets of energy coming out of it for no good yeah. reason. Yeah, and we were deprived of that. Yeah. And that's bullshit, man. I know, it really, it should have been like fire twister, twister causing. The twister made a fire. Yeah, a they tornado got that is a right. tornado made of sharks. They nailed that. Yeah. This is a letdown. Yeah, this was like Twister causing atomic meltdown movie, which is yeah. not a catchy title. So I get why they went with Atomic Twister, but it really is misleading. Because like, and the Twisters too, like, you know, there there is uh, there is devastation caused. The only, there are two, there are two like known fatalities, I think, in the, or only a handful of known fatalities in the, in the Twister timeline where it's security guards stew babysitter Stacy mm-hmm. and guy in the road who didn't know there were any tornadoes happening are, <laughs> are sucked up into them. But the tornadoes themselves, while they look nice, are not overly threatening. The big threat is like what will happen if this reactor goes up. Yeah. And so we're just sort of waiting for that to happen the entire time while the threat of the tornadoes is persistent enough to make you think that the tornadoes are going to become a sort of bigger deal than they are in in the context of like devastation. And so it just feels like a pair of unfinished disasters. Yeah, that's true. It is, it, it is almost, instead of getting a dual disaster, we sort of get two half disasters. We get, yeah, we do. We yeah. get two half disasters and I, I love the production design of this movie. At the very least, I love the production design in a very specific sense. I love that the indicator around the power plant specifically, mm-hmm. that, that there is a disaster happening, is that there's just fucking garbage everywhere. There's so much garbage and debris. <laughs> everywhere. So much debris laying I, yeah. around. That I enjoyed like, looking at the debris and trying to figure out what it had been previously. Like <laughs> at one point, lawn chairs kind of go tumbling by, and I was watching it with Dean, and he's like, "Why are there lawn chairs there?" And I was like, "Ah, 
that's probably where the smokers went on their lunch breaks to go sit and smoke outside because you can't smoke inside the nuclear plant. Yeah. Why are there newspapers going by? Well, it was probably from the newspaper box that they had right by Stu's guard station where you could pick up a newspaper every day. There is so much trash just sitting so much. around. And the only they, they only have like one communication device because like communication power goes out at the plant. So Jake goes to the plant, I think, or who goes to the plant and gives them like that communication, like that phone. Is that Jake? Jake does. It's Jake. Yeah. Jake has you, know, it. you get a phone from Jake early on in the disaster and then he leaves again, but mm-hmm. they can only use it outside of the facility. So we see uh, Corinne use that once to talk with some organization about like the ensuing the disaster. The NSC, the, the, oh, yes, yes. yeah. The NSC. Na- like the NSC, so I'm assuming it's like National Security Committee. I don't know. I'm not an Aaron Biba. I don't look up acronyms. <laughs> well, do, do we know if it was based on a real thing? I mean, I think it's just like the Atomic Council. So they're a regulatory or security agency, security body of some kind. Um, so she, the only way she can she can get in touch with anybody, the police, this organization, is through using this phone and. She uses it one time, then le- doesn't take it inside take it, with right. her. Right. I was like, just because it, it's not going to stop working if you take it inside. <laughs> it just only works if it's outside. But, like, it won't deactivate entirely. Like, just bring yeah. it with you. You don't need to leave it there. In the middle of yeah. a tornado threat, Corinne leaves the phone, the one form of communication they have, outside. So it can wait for her to use it again outside. So naturally, when she comes back to call you know, relevant authorities again an hour later because they've agreed to, like, I think, check in hourly. She goes outside and she just, you just see Sharon Lawrence in a corridor of trash. (laughs) (laughs) With just a wind machine being directed at her. It's just her (laughs) sorting through a little cove of garbage trying to find the security phone. And it was like, God, this was really the best they could do in this moment. It was just like an alley, basically an alley filled with garbage. And then I guess the phone had just been swept up and sucked away. Because surprise, she just, it like, wasn't gives there. Up. <laughs> the phone is gone, is it? Or is it underneath stuff, Sharon? Like, what do we think is happening? What do you mean the phone is gone? Nothing else has been picked up and blown away. The area is not clear of products. Like, <laughs> the phone's probably still there. It's just probably under a pile of shit. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> and God, Sharon, you know, you, you, I, I, I sort of believe in your competence to do your job inside, you know, in, in the context of this movie, to do your job inside this nuclear facility. But then why did you leave the goddamn phone outside? You know, just because, just because uh, Neville's not good under pressure. <laughs> she, we don't know how she does. And from what I can tell, I'm not impressed. Now, another, this movie just had the weirdest solutions. Like, I, it, for as little thought seems to go into a Kevin Sorbo disaster movie. Yeah. Even less seemed to go into this one because in particular, this really struck me, you know, the pro- a, a big problem, the dual problem inside the, uh, you know, nuclear facility is that the, they're, they're like encroaching on meltdown. The reactor's going to go up, but also the pool, the cooling, coolant pool holding, as we've discussed, the radioactive fuel rods 
is they're they're burning up. They're too hot. The cooling system has gone offline. The that guy Neville shut down the electric cooling system in favor of the diesel cooling system that was going to power it, but they've run out of diesel. So the cooling pools are just burning off all their, just all the water is steaming off because these rods are so hot inside. So they have to shut down the reactor and also keep this pool filled somehow while it is burning off all this water. These rods are burning off all this water. So at some point firefighters arrive and sort of a stopgap measure is the firefighters are going to point their hoses into the cooling pools and just spray as much fucking water in there as they can to stave off the evaporation. Sure. Why? Why did the I'm- firefighters need to stay in this room that is a brutally hot temperature, probably radioactively, wildly unsafe? And yeah, I had questions about whether I... It would, it would be radioactive in there, yes. Yeah, like it was, like it, it is hazardous radioactively and they're in like their fire safety gear and it's hot as hell and they start passing out. They did not need to be hold, they were endangering the lives of these firefighters unnecessarily. All they needed to do was somehow affix these fire hoses to the safety rail surrounding the pool and point them into the water instead of having firefighters risk their life with radioactive exposure and like heat exhaustion. Why? Why were the firefighters holding the fucking hoses and pointing them into the pools? Well, my question was how damn hot was it in there that firefighters whose job is to run into fire were (laughs) fainting and passing out in their fire protective, their heat protective gear. Like, how hot are we talking in there? Because it's not like the sidewalks were melting. Like it couldn't have been that hot. Well, but they like, were they were fully passing out. It was there was there, like a danger. I will grant that they like they had been in there for a prolonged period of time in the way that I don't necessarily think they're standing in the middle of burning buildings for like just standing there continuously enduring the heat. But the point is they didn't need to be standing there at all. Like I mean, like I almost can go with it because like houses- and pointed at like fucking use metal grip. Like you, there is a lot of equipment around you. Yeah. Do something to where these firefighters, they don't have to move the water. All it has to do is point into the tank and go. There was no reason for those men to be in there other to provide the like drama of, oh no. And now this fail safe is going to go because all these firefighters are passing on. They can't hold the hoses. It's like, well, good thing they don't need to. And you can get them out. (laughs) And also like, the firefight. Oh no, the firefighters are passing out. Okay, let's get some more people in there, I guess, to hold the hoses. Like, if if someone, if you just need someone to hold hoses, there are people who can hold hoses. Yeah, Mark Paul Gosler holds a hose at one point. Yeah, and he's, if, he's in there suited up. If the alternative is a nuclear reactor meltdown, yeah. you you put bodies in there, however you can. It was it was such a silly level of contrivance for a way to put dramatic tension and was like, you just, people are just getting hot. People are getting hot that you don't even need to have in there. And that's going to be the thing that we're supposed to be getting upset about. Like there is a, 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 a possibly, there are twisters encroaching on these grounds and there's a nuclear reactor about to go up and people passing out from heat is what you're going to give us as the drama that needs to drive this forward. What the fuck is that? (laughs) What yeah, it, it was it was it was not the tensest moment that they could have picked. Like they're definitely the part where so when at one point when they realize they're going to have a meltdown and they need to like have someone go in and manually shut down the reactors. Yes. And 
they have Corinne and Neville are suited up. And then there's also like random plant owner guy who oh, runs yeah. in, comes in and, and is out. like, he comes, he just like shows up out of nowhere and is like, no, we have to shut the whole thing down. We're going to lock him in in three minutes. And that was like moderately tense. Yeah. Like that was actually a nice moment of tension there uh-huh. because you had Corinne arguing with Neville about who should go do it because they have to walk <laughs> through radioactive water and whoever gets exposed to it is going to have like a week to live. Yeah. And they're in there arguing about that. You've got a three minute countdown going. They could both just get locked in there and die because they're going to shut the whole <laughs> thing down. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the woman, and then I think it's Grace. Gail. Uh, Gail. 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 Who Gail. I love Useless. Gail. Useless Gail. I hated Gail. I liked, I liked Gail. I thought she did the best she could. Gail is given orders at one point. Okay. They're basically going into the hot zone. Um, where like the peak of radioactivity is to manually shut down the reactor. If they can't get out in 60 seconds, we need to like engage containment protocols and lock them the fuck in. Mm-hmm. She was understandably upset. I <laughs> felt really yeah. bad that Gail was the one who had to like hit the button to trap these people in the middle of a potential nuclear meltdown. Yeah. But I also felt like Gail was, there were times I was like, Gail, you can do more than just yell numbers. <laughs> we had 20 seconds. It's getting too hot. Like, Gail, <laughs> offer something constructive. Gail was, was the person, you know, Jordan, you, when you said you don't like it when someone's like in a movie, when they're like, easy, easy, oh, go slow. You don't like those people? I Gail is that person. <laughs> that person for the entire nuclear meltdown. We have 45 seconds. Yeah, we know, Gail, you just announced it. Like, <laughs> chill out, Gail. Either offer something constructive or shut the fuck up. <laughs> I, at the, when, when, when they got it, when they got the, when they averted the, the nuclear meltdown and she and Potter are like, we did it, we did it. And I'm like, bitch, who did it? You did nothing. <laughs> you, you didn't, you were not exposed to the twister once. There was nary and a radioactive atom near you. Yeah, like yeah, nothing. yeah. Well, and yes, and it should be addressed that Neville does redeem himself by, because Potter and mm-hmm. Corinne are looking at basically the radioactive water being, like, just standing there for a very long time, not going into it. And then Neville, and, like, then they get that 60-second countdown to lockout. Neville dutifully admits that he is bad under pressure, but then walks into, like, the ankle-high radioactive water goes mm-hmm. and manually shuts down the reactor so they stave off that one part of the disaster. But then the fuel rods are the persistent problem after that. And we never see Neville, Neville again. Redeemed. No, we do. We see him at the end. Oh, yeah. we see him at the end? Oh, I missed him. Yeah, so. I, I was like, no, he's in a little suit. He's oh, in a little okay. suit and he's getting walked to like a triage tent. Yeah. So Neville makes, he take manages to walk out on his own recognizance. Good, good for Neville, who I got to say, being told I'm bad under pressure and then being, then walking off to go shut down a nuclear reactor not going to give me a lot of confidence if I'm Sharon Lawrence. <laughs> like, if I'm Korean, I'm like, that's not, I'm bad under pressure. That's why I didn't get the promotion. I'm going to go save all our lives now. I would assume that we're all going to die. Neville found something in himself he didn't even know he had in that moment. Yeah. Neville really rose to the occasion. Took him long enough. Yeah. And here's another, here's another sort of, like, bit of carelessness that just didn't need to happen. Because, like, there's a line in it where, like, because we hear that, like, they've gone to stage one readiness for, right. like, in the potential disaster. We hear this toward the beginning of the movie with stage four basically being, um, as it is, as it is explained to us by, I think, the NSC guy, uh, stage four means boom, no more West Tennessee. And it's like, guys, I think our problem here 
with a nuclear issue is a little bigger than West Tennessee even. And at one point somebody says that if that reactor goes up, it's going to make Chernobyl look like a firecracker. In which case it's like, I think we're talking more about like the entire Southwestern United States, you guys. Yeah. Like, give me an accurate picture of what this is supposed to be. Like, why are we why are we localizing this to even expressing that West Tennessee is the issue? Make me feel the gravity of like an entire quadrant of the United States is going to be an exclusion zone if this thing happens. I just never felt like they were really adequately conveying yeah, the, the enormity of it. Yeah, the enormity of it. Like, if you're going to have an atomic twister, you better, like, let me know that that's going to be a region-destroying event. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just, in general, that's often what happens with these movies, with, like, the made-for-TV movies, is that they simultaneously have, like, something epic and huge, but they never want to expand it outward. Right, right. You know, like, we see this time and again, we're like, um, doesn't this seem like this should be something, a much bigger problem for more people than just these seven? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's always, like, seven people. Yeah, and it's just like, no, 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 it's just West Tennessee. It's just the locality. It's like, no, we're just going to limit this to this small region. Like, how in, in um, Stonados, how only part of Boston knew that Boston <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was under attack from high, from, like, hyper crystallized rocks being thrown <laughs> through the air so yeah. shockingly few people realized that that like if we have if there is if there is an earthquake in los angeles yeah that is a communal experience for it's like one of the few times we are truly one city is, is there everyone's like oh i felt the earthquake yeah like one of my favorite things of living in la is the moment you feel an earthquake and i open twitter yeah. and then suddenly the timeline is just every single it's a huge block of text where you scroll and everybody just says the word earthquake at the same time yeah, it's just me. the word earthquake trends and it's just earthquake it's, it's great. me it's you it's chrissy Teigen. in that moment yeah. We are all one Los Angeles. And yet in these disaster movies where where there are like you know a fairly routine disaster like a like a, a tornado sort of in the context of like meteorology, but they're always anomalous. They're always anomalous forms of these sort of routine disasters. Yeah. There's never just a normal weather phenomenon. So if these things are weird, exceptional, large, especially strange, then why the fuck does no one know what's going on? Besides, as you said, these seven people. Yeah. I mean, like, again, it's when the fact that Mark Paul, the deputy Mark Paul Gossler is the one calling in tornado touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> that if, if he weren't there to observe them, they wouldn't be happening, I guess. No one would know about it. Like, there's no meteorology being, there's no, no one is monitoring West Tennessee for meteorology. There's no Doppler. <laughs> there's no radar. There's no warnings. There's just Deputy Mark Paul Gossler. Stands between us and oblivion. Yeah. And which is true. <laughs> which is true. And, you know, it's, it's very little happens in this movie. Mark Paul Gossler, like, goes and picks up sociopathic Campbell who ran away from the scene of a crime. Yes. <laughs> crime. When who, he picks who up left of his babysitter to die. Yeah. Who he goes and picks up Campbell. They, uh, along the way to, I don't remember where they're going. They at first are, are going somewhere else when they're notified, they, they need to hijack a diesel truck basically 
and drive. Well, the diesel it. truck refuses to go to exactly, exactly. Like it's not even hijacked. They have to stop a diesel truck, which is kind of like where the driver has neglected his duties. Yeah, like so, they, he has to commandeer this diesel truck, Mark Paul Gosler, and bring it back to and, and take it to the to the reactor so they can fire up the engine in to power the cooling tanks. But before that they stumble upon uh, somebody who's gotten in a car accident with, oh, Mark Paul Gosler's, you know, touch on that love interest. So that's kind of, that's, you know, one of our events. Everything that happens in the atomic facility, and then that's kind of it. There's, yeah. like, Campbell in the house and the babysitter. There's Mark Paul Gosler's various errands. And yeah. then there's whatever Corinne is managing, like, whatever one of three major things is Corinne is managing in the atomic facility. And that's kind of all we're dealing with here. Yeah, and, and Mark Paul Gosler's errands are pretty much either, hey, take care of this one woman's child. Yes. Because she, despite the fact that he is a police officer, she's like, go find my son. And he's like, you're right, I should go find your son. Who <laughs> yeah. is, as far as we all know, being taken care of at home safe. Yes, So I yes. should go find your son. And then, yeah, and then he does get tasked with, like, the hero moment. Because, which is one of the few things I really liked is that we learn early on that he used to be a trucker. Right. And yeah. So yeah. we learn he used to be a trucker, and that comes into play later when he puts himself bodily between the di- the the errant diesel truck and his police car. Yeah. And then he commandeers it, and he's like, "Let's see if I remember how to do this." And I was like, "Oh, I don't have to ask how he knew how to drive a truck." I love it. <laughs> That's right. He used to be a trucker, and Maybe then he the became the most considered detail in the entire yeah. movie. The only time, like, it was so set up and paid off. And I was like, I don't know that we needed that, but thank you. I appreciate that we have it. So, obviously, Deputy Deputy Jake, Mark Paul Gossler, mm-hmm. gets the diesel to the plant. Corinne, yeah. like, they find an old diesel generator on the premises. They've got it fueled up. She uses her determination and raw strength to kick it over and get it running. And, you know, West Tennessee, to say nothing of the entire southwestern United States, has been saved. Yeah. And, you know, the awkward, like, familial, yet somehow also sexual tension between probably Corinne and Jake will persist through this engagement that he is now back on. He started back up again. He, they set a date. They, they did. They set a date. Um, And her her father, the woman's father, Sheriff Corbin Burnson, mm-hmm. is not happy about this. But I was very happy to see Sheriff Corbin Burnson. Yeah, he was delivering one stoic monologue. He had a great, he had one great scene though, staring stoically out the window with his back to the dispatch lady, breaking down what the different stages of a nuclear meltdown are. I enjoyed (laughs) every acting choice he made in that scene. And, you know, so, so our heroes win the day. Yeah. And I feel like that takes us, I feel like that really takes us. I gotta touch, you know, there's one more thing that I really, I gotta... Reality index wise. What? I don't believe that Carl Lewis can't outrun a tornado. <laughs> well, in defense he, of the movie, since he, no one knows that they're coming. I'm sorry, the fastest man alive. That are you they telling are me? Present? Yeah. I can believe that Carl Lewis in this universe would have been fully fucking taken surprise taken by surprise by a tornado to where it would have been in of him by the time he could have outran it. In a foot race from start, fastest man alive, tornado, Carl Lewis not beat the tornado. I I mean maybe maybe Carl in his prime, but like yeah. Carl Lewis in O two. Okay. Okay, fine. I think that's fair. I just also I thought I was 
I thought that was a very dark, bitter irony to have Carl Lewis not be able to, uh, like you cast Carl Lewis and you're like, and the joke here is that you can't run fast enough. Well, like, and you, at that point, like capitalize on the gag, at least that you have Carl true. Lewis, like have him outrun it for like a, a like a, like a, a wink and a nod. Have him outrun it and then have him kind of stop and be like, I can only do the 200. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, this wasn't my event. You're you're putting him in this movie, and he is a he is a national hero. Play with that a little bit, yeah. but again, in the in a world where no one knows that tornadoes are approaching them, yeah, that's true. I know. I just I was I was inches away. Maybe if he'd had like a five a five meter start head start, he could any have done it. kind of any kind of head start. Or I just was I was waiting for I was waiting for Carl Lewis to outrun it and warn them. <laughs> well, that would have been the only early detection system that they would have had then. Yes. That, that's why Carl Lewis is in that town. He just runs from door to door yelling, Tornado! Tornado! Yeah, that's how West Texas has been relying on a warning system. That's why he's there. Um, All so, right, so now we can go into what is this really about? Yeah, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know what this movie was trying to do. Mm. Like maybe you know maybe maybe there's something to be said because what 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 I really what I what made me feel so weird about the beginning where um, Corinne is super fucking bitchy to Jake about his personal life was like is this some weird backdoor conservative Christian thing like am yeah. I gonna I'm waiting after that moment I was waiting for like a pro life moment to happen <laughs> in the movie like I was waiting for some weird like you know well, I'll get back together with you, Jake, if we pledge to like, you know, wear purity rings and not move in or have sex until the wedding. Like some weird, just yeah. like, is this an I still believe thing? Like, is this about the Lord? <laughs> and it almost is weirder that there wasn't more like crucifix twer necklace twirling happening from Corinne after that moment. If they had at least made that her character, it would have made sense, but like single mother making it work after her husband abandons her and like wants to be a boss bitch at this atomic facility is also some weird moral majority asshole to her neighbor. Like mm -hmm. in a better world, this movie would have at least committed to that vision. And I could be saying that's what it was about right now, but I can't even do that. Okay. I, uh, I think that this was a movie about the patriarchy and uh, the oppressive constraints of masculinity. Um, like obviously Corinne's whole storyline is about a woman struggling to make it in a man's world, yes. you know, um, down to the fact that what she finally gets, she finally gets that diesel generator to work by yelling, yeah. start you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. The diesel generator with its hose attachment spurting <laughs> out gasoline is True. clearly the patriarchy. It's, it's, yeah. it's a penis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and in the entire movie is basically her fight against the patriarchy. Um, but then also on the counterpoint to that, you've got Deputy Mark Paul Gossler, who's recovering from the loss of a mother figure in his uh -huh, life. Uh -huh. And uh, how toxic that turns him. Yeah. And that he really has to, it's only from Corinne treating him as the son she doesn't have. And when he takes on the father figure role to little sociopath Campbell. Yeah. That uh, he really learns to step up and have a healthy mature relationship with women and himself and love. And well, that is the only way he can become whole. And it's like, it's interesting too, like the, 
there's that moment where like there's like that there's a preposterously father-son moment between Jay yeah. and Campbell where he's like, you know, there's a saying in the South. I think he says like in the South where, yeah. you know, they say you're not a man till your father tells you you are. Yeah. And then, you know, basically like giving giving Campbell some pep talk. Later on in the movie, we come back to that after Campbell has like in a moment of bravery helped Jake rescue his like ex and now again back on recurring fiance. Um, he like gives him a pep talk at the end where he's like, you know, you're you sacrificed today. You were brave. You were strong. And he's like, you're a man now. It's like, didn't we immediately before this just say that you're not a man until your father tells you you are. And in that's like, because, no, because it, one day you have become this boy's father. Well, because he, he initially says it to the boy and then he realizes he says it to Campbell. Then he realizes like, oops, foot in my mouth. This boy doesn't have a dad. Oh, he yeah. even like has that little reaction on him. He's like, I mean, you know, it'll just happen one day when you don't know it. <laughs> he's saying it to console him because Campbell has a crush on Stacy and Mark Paul Gossler knows he has a crush on Stacy and is like, Hey, calm down there. Little buddy. Right, she's yeah. a little old for you. You're not a man yet. Yeah. And then Campbell decides that he's going to be a man by killing Stacy, um, <laughs> inspired by Deputy Mark Paul Gosler, and then validated by Deputy Mark Paul Gosler, yeah. who tells him, "You're a man." At the end of the you're movie, a man now you've taken it. You're ta- you've taken a life and you've saved one. You're a man now. <laughs> you, so yeah, yeah. You, I'm just going to go. i go the toxic masculinity and uh, the patriarchy on this one, and not like in a in a in an angry way where I'm like, "This is about the injustices." It's like, no, I think this is just a pretty clean through line of like, uh-huh. that's what this is. Um, do Let's you have any fantasy it. casting for this one, Jor? You know, I kind of, I like the whole move. The whole time I was watching it, I was like wishing that it kind of was a thing between. It would have just made it clearer yeah. if it was a thing between Corinne and Jake. Like, mm-hmm. I wish Corinne, I, I I wish that that had been able to be seen through and that their final resolution was that, like, this, you know, wayward bachelor who had, mm-hmm. his, who had a crush on his neighbor who was a single mom and, you know, maybe he didn't think he was good enough to be the man she needed to be, like, a father to her son and that kind of stuff. And she maybe had the hots for, like, the rough-and-tumble sheriff's yeah. deputy next door. So I kind of wish it had seen it through. And it, like... I didn't know that and I don't think I wanted Mark Paul Gossler to be that guy. And it it feels weird to fantasy cast minutes, but this felt like a Casper Van Dien movie. Yeah, well, because he'd read older for starters. Yeah. I'm on board with that. I like Mark Paul Gossler was so young. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. And because that the the awkward, not that Mark Paul Gossler's like a wrong age or anything, but for what was going on with the vibe in this movie, it was an awkward yeah. age for him to be. So like if that had been Casper Van Dean, but keep Sharon Lawrence, because I thought she I thought she was the she was the right kind of oh, she's she the, the right kind of energy for this that I yes. that I wanted for that. And yeah. I wanted who's the guy who plays is it Jimmy? It's not Jimmy it's not Jimmy Smiths. Who's the NYPD blue? sergeant guy that is jimmy smith jimmy smith i yeah with the wanted, hair no the bald guy oh um the one with the butt no the, the one kind who of showed his butt yeah the one who showed his butt the the, the larger gentleman yeah he showed his butt on in nypd blue Day. i have no fucking idea thing. i don't watch nypd i wouldn't be dennis franz andy andy sibowitz dennis franz i knew it wasn't jimmy yes. it's same thing um i mean dennis, i wanted dennis I, I don't know anything about dennis franz other than the way he looks and I've heard yeah. him talk a few times because I never ever watch MIPD Blue. I wanted Dennis Franz in the role of Neville. Okay, yes, yes. I wanted that hairline. 
I wanted yeah. that face. I wanted that mustache. And yeah. it would have been a, a stronger presence. So I wanted him at the role of Neville. I wanted, I liked Corbin Berenson. I liked seeing Corbin Berenson. That was great. You know, there's also a universe in which, there's a universe in which too, this is not a, a Casper Van Dien joint, but it is a Tom Berenger joint. Oh, that's I a voice. Totally see Tom Berenger as wouldn't be deputy at that point, but he would have yeah, been no, like be a sort sheriff. of yeah, yeah, he he'd be a sheriff. You'd have Corbin Berenson as sort of like his obstreperous, um, as his sort of obstreperous, you know, other yeah. foil at the at the police department. So yeah, I'm gonna say keep Sharon Lawrence, put in yeah. Tom Berenger as neighbor, put in um who did I um Dennis Franz as yeah. Neville and like some kooky who would be like a kooky 2002 casting for Potter pretty much that guy maybe maybe that's a oh, uh, what's his name the guy who played Sha- uh, the guy who played Shaggy in um Scooby Doo Matthew, Matthew Lillard. Lillard yeah let's put Matthew Lillard in there as Potter and that's that's going to be that's going to round out my cast only change I'd make to your cast instead of Tom Berenson, I would make it Carl Lewis. <laughs> You're wait, who are you, are you making? I make I would upgrade I'd upgrade Stu I'd upgrade Carl Lewis out of Stu and put him right in as like the deputy. Why not? Give him a little heat with Sharon Lawrence, a let real, him go. A real star let, turn for yeah. Carl. Have a moment where his car stops working, he has to run somewhere. Like give me that. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. Yeah. I like that. So Jordan, you know what's happening on Saturday? Wait, Towering Inferno's first. Oh yeah, Towering Inferno's. I was just so excited. <laughs> no, that's and right, you're gonna Towering see Inferno's. Disaster Divas. Why we're excited? I'm so excited in a moment. Um, yeah, no, I two, two, two for me two. as well. This was a. It was, what I did really like. It was really succinct. It's a very short movie. It is. It didn't. I didn't feel like time was being wasted. No, in the way that, no. that that is a that is probably one of the biggest issues with the made for TV movies is somehow yeah. even when they're only ninety minutes, they feel like they should have been. An hour only. This one at least was like, no, we're 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 moving along. We're moving along. Yeah, it was just like a little bag of sour patch kids. It was just the right size. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was it was a it was a pleasant two. No, I have no yeah. I have no grudge against this two. Yeah, this is this was a this was a a just fine two, an adequate two. Yes, which brings us to probably probably honestly the most exciting news of the podcast, which yes. Amanda you will now review. <laughs> she already teased it. Um, <laughs> so so I uh because we're quarantined and I can't celebrate my 35th birthday in the real world <laughs> Jordan has agreed to let us celebrate my 35th birthday by watching the core I mean I I'm so excited and we we typically we tip like we we try to make it a policy of like saving the higher profile movies no, yes the but core. then as, as I was telling Amanda before we started Amanda is the guest you'd want to talk about the core. There's no so, Amanda, the core the way that I can talk about no, the core. No, this will be, it's like you will be the featured guest on your own podcast for next episode in which we talk about the core in honor of your birthday. Which, which honestly, is on Netflix, my, the core on Netflix. For, for my narcissism, that is perfect. I want to be a featured guest as a celebration of my birthday yeah. on my perfect. own podcast. That yeah. is the... The burrito wrapped in a chalupa of, like, of my narcissism. So that's perfect. I'm so excited. And it is available on Netflix. We're all going to watch it. We're, we're very all going to watch it. We're all, you're all going to watch. We're all going to watch the core. 
all the disaster divas. I am really. I was I, trying to because I still kind of want to do a Netflix watch party for this. It, but it, I don't it, know how to make that happen. It's been coming up in my scroll a lot lately, and I keep wanting to click it because I. And then I was like, no, we have to save. I have to save it. I have to save it because I'm inevitably going to be watching this soon for the show. And yeah. so I'm really finally glad to be able to tear the seal off of the Netflix core experience. Yeah. I'm going to make you Netflix watch it with Netflix party with me just because I want to watch you watch this. Like this is one of those ones I would have liked to have seen with you in person just so I could like sit there and look at you every time something new happens. No, let's Netflix party the core. Let's do it. Okay. So we'll be doing that next week. Um, And in the meantime, um, Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. I'm Amanda our tubs and that's tubs with two b's two b's and jason uh you can find me <laughs> at jason halftones and that's uh where i'm posting my comics and shit jordan also you should let people know you do have your patreon yeah. right now oh Gotta mention that it. is right that is right I, glorious yeah. pieces of writing she's got a film. patreon yeah hmm. i have a patreon mm-hmm. which um i encourage you everything is <clears throat> excuse me for that um everything is public to read at this point uh, I highly recommend you subscribe uh, because you should pay me for my work because it's good work. Um, but it's also really fun stuff. I'm mostly, uh, I'll be talking about a whole smattering of things that have to do with movies, but it's going to be a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, going to be a lot of horror per usual and a lot of action movie stuff, which Hell is yeah. really my tantamount passion to horror cinema is action cinema. And that is very easily findable. Uh, you can tell the spelling of my last name for my Twitter, but it's just, uh, it's patreon.com slash Cruciola, C-R-U-C-C-H-I-O-L-A. So stop on by, check it out, and, you know, kick a couple bucks my way. I would love to have, like, guest contributors, um, writers that I really love, maybe pitching something in here and there, and I need to be able to pay people. I need to be able to pay people if I'm going to be able to do that. So help me support journalists, because journalism can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can find the podcast. That's really, that at... is the that's the, the log line right there. And yeah, you can find exactly. our podcast. We're disaster underscore uh, pod on Twitter. We're disastergirlspod at gmail.com and we are uh, disaster girls on Letterbox. So you can find us at any of those places. Please, if you have not, rate and review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, whatever your chosen streaming service is. Mm-hmm. All of that helps us, um, especially the subscribing and the rating makes a huge difference yeah please do those things participate with us all right and uh we'll catch everyone else uh next episode for the core all right thank you everybody bye guys that might be cool.com you never know